0: We got our first comment. We opened up a phone line yesterday so people who listen can leave questions or comments on our discussions. And we got one on our very first discussion about a pharmacy. I'll play it in a second. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Layla Atassi, Lisa Garvin, and Laura Johnston. And as we said yesterday, we're hoping to hear from you at a toll-free hotline we've set up. 833-648-6329, also 833-OH-today, and about our first talk yesterday about a pharmacy that got landed upon by state regulators for abysmal service, we got this call. Hi, my name is Eric Geyer, and I'm a pharmacist in the greater Cleveland area, and the story you guys did on CBS being fined by the state board of pharmacy is really just the tip of the iceberg here. Um, this has been going on for many months if not a few years now with a lot of major chains with cutbacks and the payment structures that belie pharmacy and the issues within it and there's even bills and legislature to kind of eliminate pharmacists from pharmacies with remote pharmacies or telepharmacies as we like to call them they're run fully by technicians with nobody actually trained in medicine um hope you guys cover that and dig into it thanks eric uh good ideas we should explore those we appreciate the call and we hope people will continue in his vein and leave us comments Let's get to the news. The money being spent on the Ohio Senate race in Ohio is going through the roof, potentially. And we have two stories about it. First up, Lisa, what does Mitch McConnell say he will do to defeat Sherrod Brown?
1: He wants to spend a whole bucket load of money to do that through the Senate Leadership Fund, which he's closely tied with, and also a group called American Crossroads. They're going to spend $82.5 million on TV ads for Ohio to help defeat Sherrod Brown in November. They'll start running those ads the day after Labor Day on September 3rd, and that's more than double what they spent on J.D. Vance in the 2022 Senate race. Uh, They say they may scale back this spending as necessary, so it's not really set in stone they got to see which way the winds are blowing later on and of course the democrats are expected to reciprocate brown has raised a lot of money he's raised 14.6 million dollars so far he's got that in the bank and that's more than his republican opponents bernie moreno matt dolan and frank larose combined but there's no comment yet from the democratic senate majority pack um the senate 2022 campaign which vance won That was $197.6 million spent on that race. But it looks like we're on track to exceed that.
0: I just wonder if this is legitimate or if it's a public relations ploy. Because Sherrod Brown does, as you said, have a commanding lead in money. And does Mitch McConnell's announcement give confidence to others to donate to the Republican candidates? We've often seen commitments of money in Ohio Until polls show a race is going in a certain direction, then they take that money and put it somewhere where they think it might make a difference. So right now, he's saying, I'm going to spend this money. Whether he actually spends that money, who knows, but he's looking for headlines as a result of it.
1: Yeah. And like I said, they're not going to run these until September. So they have like seven months of just nothing before they start running these ads. And a lot can change between now and then.
0: Yeah. That's why I think it's somewhat suspicious to announce it months and months ahead. I think you're looking for the big splash just to make waves because Sherrod Brown does have all of that cash. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Next up, what is a national group called Club for Growth planning to do in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus on the Senate race, Laura?
2: They want to put in ads for Bernie Moreno. They're a big, rich, anti-tax group. They're based in Washington, D.C., and it wants to boost Bernie Moreno with a plan to emphasize that ex-President Donald Trump endorsed him over his campaign contenders. Wait, wait, let me get
0: this straight. Donald Trump endorsed Bernie <laughs> Moreno?
2: In case you haven't seen enough of those ads where Trump is yelling, we love Bernie Marino, you're probably going to see more thanks to these guys. And they've so far are spending $970,000 to air these new pro Marino ads. Obviously, that's not as big as what we just talked about, but that's actually spending it rather than saying they're going to spend it.
0: It's amazing how much money is being put behind this guy who has zero political experience, who has waffled on pretty much every position he's ever had. Ohio is in such sorry shape. Brent Larkin put it into perspective very clearly uh, over the weekend. Check out his column on Cleveland.com. This is not a good thing for Ohio.
2: the one interesting thing about this ad is it has a brief cameo from Lieutenant Governor John Houston. He hasn't endorsed anyone in the Senate race, but he is shown talking to Moreno at a campaign event. I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing you don't have to get approval from the people you put in your ads if you have the footage. I mean, they put stuff in ads all the time. So I don't know what he thinks of that.
0: It does seem that all the Trumpy politicians are lining up behind Moreno, even some mm-hmm. who are not. Dave Yost, believe it or not, came out and endorsed Moreno, which was a shock. It really hurt the credibility of Dave Yost, the attorney general. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Point of sale inspections are interesting to a lot of people, as many of us live in communities where we must get our homes fully up to code before we can sell them. It keeps the housing stock sound. So why did Cleveland City Council President Blaine Griffin put the proposal to begin suspections in Cleveland in the tank? He gutted it. Layla, why?
3: Yeah, and, and I'm kind of on fire about this, so I'm glad we get to talk about it. We're talking about this ambitious housing code enforcement overhaul that Justin Bibb proposed. It's referred to as uh, residence first. And there are a lot of elements to this thing. There are is a quick-hitting civil fine for code violations. There's a requirement that out-of-town landlords designate a local agent who's responsible for a property and and other things like that. But the provision that Blaine Griffin and some other members of council got snagged on was point-of-sale inspections for vacant properties. This requirement, as it was proposed, would mean that upon the sale of a vacant property, the city would come out and do a full inspection and the buyer would have six months to bring that property to code. I would argue that the lack of such an inspection has contributed greatly to the blight in Cleveland, with properties changing hands rapidly, often among out-of-state investors who do nothing to fix a property, and then sometimes, you know, tenants end up living in them and getting jacked on rent in these blighted slums. Well, Blaine Griffin saw that requirement of a point-of-sale inspection for vacant properties as somehow hurting the little guy. In some hypothetical situation where some poor local resident inherits a vacant property, this requirement would make it harder to sell that property for a decent price or would make it onerous for a local buyer who can't afford the immediate improvements to the home. So in passing this package on Monday, council gutted that key provision. They stripped Interior inspections from the requirement. So the vacant houses will only be subject to exterior inspections and the buyer won't be required to bring the interior of the house up to code. And they put a two-year sunset date on this provision in case they decide it isn't working as intended. And guess what? It won't work as intended because it's now completely gutless. And this is all because Blaine Griffin says it will help this proverbial little guy Meanwhile, it's going to also help a whole lot of out of towners who have been pillaging Cleveland for decades because Cleveland apparently is comfortable having zero standards for the upkeep of its housing stock.
0: I wonder if the council fund that he runs is getting donations from real estate people who don't want to see this. What, what throws me about this is I live in a community with point of sale inspections, which is full. They check everything. You know, every outlet, everything has to be right, and every five years they come through. And expect, inspect the exterior. Code enforcement is supposed to correct exterior problems all the time. If a code inspector mm-hmm. driving down the road and they see a problem on a house, they're supposed to fix it. So having a, a requirement that the exterior be inspected when it gets sold, they should be fixing that stuff up all the time. Right. This does absolutely nothing. It's He gutted this thing. And I don't understand it. Most people in Cleveland want these vacant homes brought up to code. They're killing neighborhoods, man. They bring down the value of homes that are well well tended. So he's not taking care of the resident here. So who's he no. taking care of? The out-of-town no. owner. Right. And do they have some kind of lobby that's donating money to his fund?
3: I, I don't understand this. To me, this is one of the more just... Game changer kinds of policies that have come out of City Hall. And it, it could have been so transformative. And instead, it's it's just reduced to, to
0: gutless nonsense. And it's a crisis because out of town owners have really invaded Cleveland. So we have so many out-of-town owners, you don't, you can't even reach them. That's part of the problem. It's part of what Justin Bibb's trying to deal with. This would have made a big difference. I, I don't know. Maybe Blaine Griffin's planning to run for mayor and he's trying to differentiate himself. I saw he put out a statement about the budget, ripping the mayor for playing with the police staffing, hinting that the mayor is cutting police, which he's not doing. He's just getting rid of the empty positions that he can't fill so he can move the money into raises for the police that are on the staff. But he put out a statement that made it very simplistic. The mayor is getting rid of police and I won't stand for that. Here's my statement about this. So so he's done this. He's gutted the housing thing. He's trying to you know, close council meetings if he doesn't like what he sees there. I don't get right. this guy. It seems like he has gone off the rails as city council president.
3: I mean the other thing this 2 year sunset provision on on the the inspection piece I, we all know how slow city hall works <laughs> 2 years is by the that's the time when the program is actually probably just starting to to get its legs I mean that's when they've staffed up and they're they're actually out there starting to put the put the policy into action and they want it to sunset at two years if it's not doing but what they think it should be doing.
0: Why did the sheep on council go along with this? They're in these neighborhoods. They're hearing from people about the out-of-town landlords who are not taking care of their homes. So why didn't people on council stand up to him and say, hey, you want to continue to be council president? Let's do something here. Why, why did everybody fold up on this?
3: I'm not sure. And uh,
0: Strange. I don't know. Maybe they want so disappointed. Yeah, maybe if they stand up to him, they don't get any of his council fund money that he donates to people who support him. You're listening to today in Ohio. The shadow of Larry Householder looms large. How is a fight over a $1.6 million office lease that the disgraced former House Speaker signed? really more of a battle about who will be the House Speaker in 2025. Lisa, it's a fascinating story, and it shows how all the machinations go to be leader in Columbus.
1: Yeah, and it's a little confusing because there are like two – entities that did the same thing and one is now gone, but I'll try to explain. So a householder leased a floor of the Chase Tower in downtown Columbus right across from the Capitol for $1.6 million just before his arrest in 2020. So he never moved into the space, never used it. Now, property managers are trying to collect from a group called the Ohio House Republican Alliance. It's an arm of the current House Speaker, Jason Stevens. It has $3 bucks on hand right now, but Stevens wants to use that. That money to lavish it on candidates that he favors in the GOP primary. But the property owner or the property manager, LCP Columbus Property Owner LLC, says they had an agreement with the Ohio House Republican Campaign Committee. Similar name, but different group. They're legally distinct entity from the OHRA, but they have the same purpose. And the OHRA was created one day after the OHRCC ended. try to follow along here. So they say that the property managers say, hey, this group may not have existed, but we had an agreement with a group that doesn't exist anymore, that had the same purpose. So we feel like you're on the hook. So Franklin County judge agreed and uh, ruled for the real estate company. But an attorney for the OHRA, Don Bray, says these are two different organizations, one that didn't exist when they signed the lease. And he said, you can't get blood from a turnip, especially a dead one.
0: And it's really about depleting the resources that Stevens has to support the candidates who support him. Matt Huffman is running a slate of candidates against Stevens supporters so that if Huffman gets elected to the House, he can become House Speaker. So taking this money away from Stevens will help Huffman's machinations to be House Speaker. So it's amazing. Larry Householder signs this lease, and here we are years later. He's sitting in prison for probably the rest of his life, and there's this battle over the House Speakership over who should pay for Larry Householder's lease.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. This landed in Franklin County Common Pleas Judge Andrea Noble's court, and she'll make a decision in the coming
0: weeks. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is this an election year? Ohio lawmakers are pushing through some big-dollar gifts for big proposals around the state. Let's talk about them. Laura, first, a soccer stadium in Cleveland?
2: Yep. this. And I know you are not the biggest proponent of soccer as a professional sport, but it, it, there is a lot of movement here, and it's pretty ambitious. The state capitol bill c- includes million for the Women's Soccer Stadium in Cleveland. That's out of the $350 million the Ohio House is giving away for building projects that came out of surplus in the state budget from taxes that we all pay. They want this to be completed as early as 2026, which seems crazy fast to me. But that's only if the National Women's Soccer League awards Cleveland an expansion team. And that's what Michael Murphy said. He's the co-founder and CEO of the Cleveland Soccer Group, the Ballpark cost is 150 million dollars. Seating for 12 to 13 thousand. It would be covered partially by team owners' the cost and partially by local or state funding. Because you know we just want to pay for another stadium here in Cleveland. But they're already looking at a couple of different downtown sites. They don't have we don't have details, but one is sort of near uh, Progressive Field and where that fire museum is. So. I'm not really picturing this, but you you think, you know, it's just south of downtown.
0: Yeah, there's there is some room down there for not for a full size football stadium or something. But for what they're talking about, there is room down there. And it makes sense to put a stadium in Gateway. That's what Gateway was envisioned for. Uh, A million dollars doesn't go very far, though.
2: No, it doesn't, especially when you need $150 million. I mean, hey, I I don't really see this, but the Senate's got its own $350 million, so maybe they'll hand out some more. What is interesting is that, in case you're a little confused, there's two simultaneous team things going on here. The Cleveland Soccer Group was awarded an MLS Next Pro men's soccer team last year. That's coming to Cleveland in 2025. Apparently, it doesn't have its own stadium planned. So this th- that team could play in this new stadium, although the women's team would be the primary tenant, which I can just see the fights going on between there on who's scheduling what what day. But at least it would get use from two soccer teams.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. I hope they get it. It'd be interesting to see if they can put the money together and who the owners are. We hear whispers that it could be the Haslams, and they, of course, own the much vaunted soccer team in Columbus, and they've built a beautiful stadium down there. So maybe mm-hmm. it's them. Um, you're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, let's talk about the much-desired land bridge from downtown to the lakefront. How much did, is in the budget for this, and is it likely to stick this time? The last time, Layla, it got taken away.
3: It did, yeah. So in in that giant appropriations bill that Laura just talked about, the state carved out $20 million for that land bridge. And that's part of $70 million that's slated to go to one-time projects here in Northeast Ohio the land bridge, which would be built over the shoreway and near nearby railroad lines, is expected to cost $230 million. And it would connect downtown to all those lakeshore amenities, the Rock Hall, Brown Stadium, the Great Lakes Science Center, and of course, most importantly, Lake Erie. Uh, last year, as you were saying, Chris, Ohio House members tried to put $62 million in COVID relief money in the state's main operating budget toward this land bridge, but the Ohio Senate struck that. House Finance Committee Chair Jay Edwards said committee members have now scaled back the ask for the land bridge to one third the original request because they just think it's more likely to pass the Senate this time.
0: I wonder why they think it's more likely to pass the Senate. The Senate doesn't like Northeast Ohio, clearly. They've taken <laughs> yeah, right. quite a few shots at us and look at us with very poor regard. I, I wonder why they think maybe they've talked to them and they said, yeah, we're not giving you the full amount, but come in, come in with a little and we'll give it to you.
3: Yeah, I hope there's some kind of discussion leading into these things. But, I mean, who knows? They asked for $62 million and got struck out. So I guess back then – there, there were no discussions ahead of the vote.
0: So where do we get but. the other $42 million? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Maybe the downtown TIF that's being discussed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Finally, we have some money potentially coming for a real bridge, a road bridge, and it's a lot. Which bridge is it, Lisa, and what is the need?
1: Yeah, it's the Carter Road Lift Bridge, which is kind of behind Tower City down there um, along the river. They're getting 20 million in state funding that's being doled out for Ohio local bridges. This is an announcement from Governor Mike DeWine's office. It's part of a 59.5 million in total funding for 17 bridges across Ohio, including three in Akron, uh, the St. Clair Street Bridge in Willoughby, and the Cherry Street Bridge in Massillon. So Carter Street is a lift bridge. Uh, it. Needs Needs mechanical and electrical repairs. Work would begin in fiscal year 2028. So that would be July 2027. The bridge is kind of critical. It, it connects downtown to the Scranton Peninsula. It's one of several lift bridges or swing bridges that connect the east and west sides. Now, the bridges eligible for this money have to be a movable bridge like Carter Street or a lift bridge and a deck area of more than 15,000 square feet. So yeah, this will be interesting. And we can all remember when the Center Street Bridge was closed for a couple of years, it was kind of hard to manip- you know, navigate down there. So It'll be interesting to see how this affects traffic.
0: So for people that are trying to place this, this is the bridge that leads to Merwin's Wharf, right?
1: No, that's the Columbus Street lift bridge. The, the The Carter Street. Well, it kind of does. They, I drive down there all the time. The Carter Street Bridge is kind of below Tower City, really.
0: Okay. I guess I'm still having trouble placing it. It's, it's good to see Mike DeWine looking at infrastructure needs across the state and coming through with this kind of money. Every... We have old infrastructure throughout this state, and you have to maintain it. Otherwise, we get into the problems we've seen where we're tearing another bridge down. Uh, This was exciting to see, and it's across the state. I mean, he doesn't show geographic favoritism. It seems like everywhere is getting some of this money. Yes. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. It's not just the state that seeks to give money away. Cleveland might give a private company money to build a pickleball facility. Laura, how is that a legitimate public expenditure?
2: Well, that is an excellent question, but I am answering it as a tennis player who has never played pickleball and gets really annoyed when my courts are taken over with pickleball. But it is a weird question because I first saw the story. I was like, oh, are they building courts in a park? Because that would make sense to me. But no. Councilman Brian Casey introduced legislation that would provide $100,000 to the early group LLC to renovate this former industrial building at Crossburn Avenue in the Bel Air Puritas neighborhood just north of Interstate 480 and make it an indoor pickleball facility. The company bought the building in October 2022 from the Cuyahoga County Land Bank, which so clearly it had been vacant and It's good that we're doing something with it. But the city's grant agreement would require the developer to put a special emphasis on finding employees who are considered hard to employ, people with disabilities, those with criminal records. But I don't really see why we're giving a private business public money to do business.
0: Why not use that money to build public courts? There is a a shortage of these courts because this sport is going off. uh, You know, people are all playing it. I don't know why you wouldn't build in Cleveland parks. I mean, we keep talking about the poor state of Cleveland parks and facilities. So why not use the money for that? Why are you giving it to some private firm to run their own little, their own little club?
2: I I think that's a very good question. I think it's, I hope that they discuss it at city council because I, I agree there need to be more courts. I and the rec centers in the parks in Cleveland could definitely stand to be improved, but yeah, and so if it's a indoor, you know, it's indoor facility, that'd be great. It could be year-round, but are the people in that neighborhood gonna end up using it? If you rent a tennis court, it's like twenty-five dollars an hour. It's not cheap.
3: Can I just jump in here? Go this ahead. galls me so much. <laughs> this is ARPA money. This is the money that when it came to the city of Cleveland, everyone was all this is transformative. We're gonna turn the city into mm-hmm. And here we are, pickleball court, privately run pickleball court i put this on the list with the golf course clubhouse in parma Mm -hmm. the dog park in whatever suburb where the council members came to county council and said please don't give us this money for this dog park because it's a waste of money and they passed it anyway uh what else what else can we put on that list squandered money just just tiny myopic thinking on on how to spend this money i can't believe how disappointing this
0: is but we talked earlier this week about Blaine Griffin's preposterous cl- demands for the downtown TIF money to go into Cleveland neighborhoods. And we have, our, you know, we had a long talk about why that won't work because the finances don't work that way. But the whole focus was we've got to invest in Cleveland neighborhoods. And here they are not. I, th- this is a perfect chance to say, okay. We want pickleball in a Cleveland neighborhood. Right. Let's let's improve the neighborhood, but it's going right. to a private concern. I I don't under. It seems like hypocrisy to me to to be harumphing about the TIF while it doing this does. and why this group why are they getting the money i none and, of this makes sense wait, transparency
3: oh, I mean, I, before i lose the opportunity surveillance cameras for a rich homeowners association oh, that was a county
0: <laughs> that was from the yeah that was another But county. so was
2: the parma golf course i completely agree with layla and i know that the city and county both have loan programs for small businesses and i'm not saying this is not a worthy project it, like It could be wonderful, but there've got to be other opportunities for them to borrow money and pay it back rather than just get a $100,000 handout that could be going to something a whole lot more transformative but that serves say, a lot more people.
1: And But to say that a pickleball facility is going to transform a neighborhood is a pretty far reach, <laughs> I would say. And I don't know that that neighborhood, as Laura mentioned, would be conducive to pickleball. And how many people would it really
3: employ?
0: Well, it just and,
1: feels
3: like they're they're scrambling to get dollars out of the door before it's they run out of time. At this point, they've put no thought or analysis into this, and it's just yeah, sickening yeah. in how disappointing this is. It,
0: it's a it's a one that makes you just shake your head. So we well, are going to keep questioning it, I guess. You're listening to today in Ohio. Baldwin Wallace University has been at the forefront of the local initiative to nurture civil discourse in this rancorous era. And now the college is taking a dramatic step involving all of its students. Layla, what is it?
3: Well, starting next year, the university is requiring all incoming freshmen to take a class that teaches how to have a civil conversation with someone who holds a different opinion than your own. So this class on civil discourse will be part of the university's core curriculum, which are classes required for all students, regardless of their major. And the curriculum for the class will be derived from materials created by braver angels. That's the nonprofit we've written about quite a bit in the past year that seeks to reduce America's political polarization by improving people's communication skills. So the teachers who lead these courses at BW will be receiving training from Braver Angels this summer. Braver Angels' methods include strategies like thinking of people as separate from the politicians they vote for, avoiding stereotypes based on somebody's political leanings, discovering things you have in common with others that are not political, and finding ways to disagree in a more productive way. Our reporter, Lucas DePrilli sat in on a Braver Angels training session at BW this past week, and he's going to be talking about that in a story for the weekend.
0: The, what I'm impressed about, Baldwin has had some financial difficulties. They had to lay people off, and there have been multiple stories about their budget challenges, Meanwhile, they're at the forefront of this movement to try and prepare the next generation to be able to talk to one another because a lot of people who are older have lost that ability. Everybody is so bitter about politics. I I just think it's fascinating that they're going to have every student participate in this. We've witnessed it. It is remarkable what they've been able to do with Baldwin Wallace and with Braver Angels to get students to talk to each other with respect. And I, that just was when Lucas told us about this yesterday. It was pretty dramatic. Man, they're serious about it.
3: I think it's a it's a wonderful way to bake this philosophy into uh, the lives of of young people coming into college, day one. This is one of the things that you're required to to be thinking about. That really that really could be transformative for. Y- you know, young people as they move on through their college career and beyond. I, I love this idea. Yeah.
2: Maybe Jerry Sereno should require all college students in Ohio <laughs> to take this class instead of pro- one where you read the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> too Really funny. Yeah.
0: Nicely played, Laura. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's uh, end it with the another message received yesterday on our phone line.
2: Hi. I'm just trying this number out. Just heard it on your podcast. I think it's a great idea, a great addition, and I really appreciate this addition to Method of Communicating with you all. Thanks.
0: Well, thanks for that. And if you have a thought or a question, please call and leave it at 833-648-6329. That's 833-OH-TODAY. That does it for the Thursday episode of Today in Ohio. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening. Come back Friday and we'll wrap up the week of news.